Good! You know what? It's morning now. I have declared it morning. I don't care where you are or what you're doing. You're having a good morning. And welcome to Richard and Carl Presents Deep Space and Dragons. I'm Richard, Lord of Time. And I, and, and I am Carl, Lord of Breakfast. I, I, I approve of uh, it being morning because, well, that's usually when breakfast is. You didn't say Lord of Space to go with Lord of Time. You went with Lord of Breakfast. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> breakfast is delightful. Various Cassies in the universe are very happy to hear about breakfast. But mm. other than being now hangry for bacon pancakes, what's new in the world of Carl? Or Carlverse? Um, <laughs> so, um, I uh, I don't know exactly how big of a, of a controversy it is, uh, but I'm, I'm assuming you've seen some advertisements for the uh, Disney Plus movie Turning Red. So... I have um, a full speech about turning red, so this better be pro turning red where you're going with this. <laughs> I, I, okay, I really did enjoy it. Uh, I mean, I, I I wasn't planning on watching it. Like, I, maybe I would have if somebody had put it on, but I wasn't going to go out of my way to borrow Disney Plus from somebody to to actually watch it. And I kind of, I mean, I don't really like paying for subscription services when I uh, I don't know why, but. Anyway, point of the matter is that uh, my sister, uh, she sells uh, Sensi products, uh, which is like a, mostly, it's like a wax that you melt down and, and uh, aromates the, uh, the space. Uh, but Sensi also does plushies. Okay. Uh, and so then they were doing a plushie of the turning red panda. And so my sister figured she should probably actually watch this movie before she started shilling out this, this plushie red panda. Um, and she starts watching it, and she she thought it was a pretty good movie because because it is a pretty good movie. Um, but uh, she posted on Facebook about how she enjoyed the movie, and you know check out this cute red panda that you can buy from Sensi. Uh, and she got a message from some of some people from her Christian community friends uh, about this negative review about how uh, it's it's not a movie for kids. You shouldn't show it to your kids because. Uh, because it encourages teenagers to be rebellious, and and uh, there's this oh, weird yeah. ritual where they say they you know they worship their ancestors rather than worshiping gods, and and it's like, wow, like I didn't realize that I did not realize that this coming of age story about a girl who turns into a panda whenever she gets too strong of emotions uh, would have any sort of like moral panic uh, controversy. But because I heard about this moral panic controversy, I actually made more more of an effort to watch this movie, uh, which, like I said, I, I believe that Turning Red is, is a very uh, poignant uh, coming-of-age story. All right, so usually this is a part of the episode where you ask what's new with me. But instead of mm. that, I need to go on a tangent about Turning Red. So what's new with me? I've been busy. So here's the thing about Turning Red. First off, it was made by the director that graduated my school. It hmm. highly focuses around Toronto and is super accurate, and it expresses a focal point in view of character that is not normally expressed. However, hmm. the movie itself has been described as a period metaphor, and that makes people uncomfortable because our healthcare and our education system is terrible. So hmm. 99% of bad reviews for this movie are like, I've, I heard someone be like, this movie was not great. I'm like, let me be going a tangent of maybe you weren't the target audience. 
maybe this one specific movie wasn't for you. Maybe this movie was for people who immigrated to Canada with different customs and traditions than yours, huh? Ever think about that? Ever think that this movie wasn't for you, 40-year-old neckbeard on the internet? The, the source of like 90% of the content? Ever think that this wasn't about you for even a second censored, censored, censored of your miserable life? Did it occur to you that this movie might give a much-needed viewpoint to someone else and you could just not watch it if you don't like it? Like, this is very important representation for people, and they're losing their shit over it. And it's like, okay, you had a decade where Disney glorified your culture. Maybe just let someone else for a second. Like, watch Pocahontas and see how pro-America that thing was. It was they tried to yeah. make... The natives into the bad guys in Pocahontas. <laughs> like, come on, people. So in conclusion, go see Turning Red. It's really good. Uh, and But as, as, as a side note, if, if any of our audience does decide to watch Turning Red, I do have a request because I'm uh, maybe I might rewatch it at some point. Uh, but um, the Plastic Money came out in 2012. And the movie is set in 2002. Uh, so I'm just curious, uh, if, if, unless I didn't see it properly, I believe they used the more modern money to represent the Canadian money that the, that the children collect. Uh, and I'm just wondering if, if that minute detail is, if, if that's just me, or if that's a minute detail that some of our audience members might might pick out as well when, uh, when they watch the movie. So... This is where I kind of want to use my confidence to bullshit you, but I'm not going to. Because I really wanted to be like, oh, that's just how long it took to get to Saskatchewan. They had it in Toronto for an extra decade, because that would seem about right. <laughs> that would seem surprisingly accurate. Like, you still haven't got daylight savings in Saskatchewan yet. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> we don't we don't need that garbage here. Uh, but in all seriousness, like, Turning Red was a fantastic movie. Encanto was a fantastic movie. They've been putting out some really good movies lately. But mm. you always get the people in the comments who somehow feel like complaining that it's not about them, which is an interesting take to make, because guess what? You have a lot of movies about you. If you want to watch a middle-aged white guy become the hero, put in the genre war movie. <laughs> the genre. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but yes, so in conclusion, I really liked that movie but I have thoughts about a lot of the negative reviews about it. But on the topic of negative mm. reviews people give for no reason, we're going to talk board games, and I'm going to make a controversial statement. Nothing you've mm -hmm. said is even going to be close to this controversial. Like, you could have came on the stage and be like, I don't like turning red because I genuinely believe in trucker protests or something. No, what I'm going to say <laughs> is far more controversial. I enjoy the board game Monopoly. Ooh. That is a hot take. And here's why. I mean, I, I, I was going to actually go on, on, a, on a rant about how uh, if, if you want to be a Monopoly champion, you actually have to write like an essay to the society about about the strategies and, and uh, previous winners and, and, and like do analysis because apparently, despite the main mechanic being dice rolling, there is a great deal of strategy in what properties you actually buy and when. But the thing about Monopoly and why I like it has nothing to do with the strategies involved with Monopoly, but the <laughs> mindset it creates for the players at the table. Because mm. Monopoly is a bartering game, and if you agree to the table rules that discussion is fair game, it becomes a very social board game. 
Nothing mm. you do on your turn in Monopoly requires more than 30 seconds of thought. You roll dice, you read a card, and you do what you gotta do. But the rest mm. of the game comes with trying to convince your friends to do things. To either side with you, side with the enemy, make a good deal, make a bad deal. And that is one of the things I love about a casual board game. Is it's mm. you can Because I distinguish the two. I love complex board games. I love strategic board mm. games. But there's a certain audience for casual board games. Like, mm. I bought a 10-player Monopoly board back when I worked at Redacted Cinemas. Mm-hmm. And I invited a bunch of redacted employees over for redacted game night. And the reason I picked Monopoly is they'd be able to have it while enjoying possibly a drink or two and still follow the rules, follow what's happening. But it created a lot of potential for shenanigans. Like I had mm-hmm. one person be like, I will give you my belt for this property. And I still have that belt somewhere. It was a free belt. <laughs> so that's one of the things I like about Monopoly is it encourages discussion. And if you try and play Monopoly like no table talk, you can only trade during your turn. You can't do this. You can only make trades of things in the game. You can't make promises. Oh, how dare you lie to me? You're playing Monopoly wrong. Because serious Monopoly is the wrong way, in my opinion, to play Monopoly. Because here I am telling people how to have fun wrong. But feel free to (laughs) follow up on your thoughts on Monopoly. Well, I mean, I have always kind of... um, I've disliked Monopoly... Uh, for almost the exact same reason, uh, and that's because um, maybe I play with people who are too competitive, uh, but um, maybe predatory isn't the right word. <laughs> predatory loans. <laughs> but but uh, it definitely uh, the, there's a there's a balance of power between the the people who are actually uh, good at negotiating and the people who end up inevitably losing everything. That is fair. So, now that we've started with Monopoly, just for the scope of this video, we're going to avoid card games because we could easily do another three episodes on card games. So I'm not going to go into a tangent about how Unstable Unicorns doesn't work if you're playing with spiteful people, nor am I going to throw shade at your player group for that exact reason. That is going to be for a future (laughs) episode. Oh yeah, no, no shade thrown. None whatsoever. But, you know, it is a fantastic, also terrible board game that no one should ever play like Monopoly, but it's good if you have the right people. Risk. Mm-hmm. Mm. Risk is a fundamentally broken game, but I've had so many good gr- Risk nights. And it's a shame, because there's so many better Risks, but getting people to understand the better Risks is hard. What right. are your thoughts on Risk? Uh, well, I mean... <laughs> I, I, I heard I think Risk is one of the worst board games ever made. Like you say, it, it, it's very fundamentally flawed. It's, it's definitely extremely dependent on your uh, the group that you're playing with. And you definitely, like, you just can't be competitive in that game because being competitive in a game that's entirely based on luck, well, 99% luck, 1% strategy. Oh, yeah. Like, and the thing about Risk is they keep putting out fancier new boards, but like I had a Space Risk that had a whole buying of unit system and energy and cards that kind of tried to add a semblance of strategy to it. Mm-hmm. But the main thing about the Risk Knights was we were young, we were dumb, and it was a game that the lowest common denominator among us could play successfully. Where right. if I attempted to take that same gameplay group and play Eldritch Horror, the board would never <laughs> even finish being set up. <laughs> So on that topic, you know what is an amazing game? Eldritch Horror. 
So I am older. I have aged. I don't have gray or white hair yet, but I would look amazing if I had like the Doctor Strange do. Like I'm hoping for that. Mm-hmm. But Eldritch Horror is a cooperative game where the game tries to murder you and you have to work together through the power of courage, friendship, and Cthulhu. And it is a pain to set up. But if you structure your time right, one person sets it up where people do that inevitable board game night thing of arguing over what food to get, placing their food order, getting drinks set up. Like, if you right, right. if you manage your time correctly, the person setting up Eldritch Horror doesn't have to deal with the hosting of the party. Mm. But have you played Eldritch Horror? Uh, no, I, I haven't. Um, you would I, love it. Uh, my roommate is uh, is super interested in all sorts of board games. Uh, I actually I purchased him a copy of uh, Tabletop Simulator because uh, at some point in the future I plan on on uh, recording uh, statistical data for for uh, the dual decks from Magic the Gathering because they've completed the set so now I can actually see what every single matchup is and I was gonna I was gonna do it on Tabletop Simulator because it allows me to play a game with anyone anywhere. And also allows me to digitize uh, the physical cards that I have in a way that uh, the arena, the officially licensed Magic the Gathering online tool, uh, just it, I can't put my cards on there. Tabletop makes Simulator. Me sad. I have... Oh, yeah. Like, Tabletop <laughs> Simulator is such an interesting thing because it does exactly <laughs> what you want it to do. But most mm-hmm. of my immediate social group are so used to tactile things and so sick instead of in front of computers for their day jobs that mm. the idea of trying to use the software that does do exactly what you want it to do mm. enrages and infuriates them. <laughs> and yeah. To follow up on games that are just better versions of other games, because we could easily go down the rabbit hole of talking Magic the Gathering, which we have. Well, here, you an episode I, called Carl the Gathering. I, I didn't want to go on a tangent about Master the Gathering. I was just saying I, I gave my roommate a copy of that. And Eldritch Horror, I believe, is one of the workshop games that he actually bothered to download for his oh, yeah. copy of, of Tabletop Simulator. I have it on uh, mine as well because it can set up. That's, it's just his style of game. And then also, the like you say, the Tabletop Simulator, uh, you don't have to worry as much about the time management because it's digital. Oh, yeah. Like you just push a button and it sets itself up. It's delightful. So to follow up on games that are better versions of other games, what are your thoughts <laughs> on Settler of Catan? Because in my brain, that's just Monopoly if it functioned. Ooh, um, I... <clears throat> yeah, so my my main expertise, like, I, I played the original Settlers of Catan, and I played the uh, Seafarers of Catan expansion. Yes. And then for Christmas, a couple years ago, I got my sister the uh, Cities and Knights expansion. Okay, okay. Um... But the so the original expansion and Seafarer's expansion, uh, there's n- basically no change to the rules. The only change being you can build boats instead of roads, uh, and it's a wool and a wood to build a yeah. boat. And then they function functionally are the same as, as a road, but on the ocean. Um, so it's like the the rules. It didn't really add any complexity, uh, but it did add more for variety to what your objectives could be. Um, the Cities and Knights expansion, however, um, changes the game. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like a different board that, game. They're just like, yeah, no, those development cards, just just throw them in a paper shredder. You don't need those anymore. Like what? 
Oh yeah, by the way, your cities aren't as are like more valuable but less valuable because they don't actually generate you as many resources because you get uh, commodities instead. Like, well, but but I want more resources. I will say though, the basic play of Settlers of Catan. So I love variant board games. Like there's thousands of monopolies mm. and if I actually had people who wanted to play Monopoly, which to be fair they don't because it's a fundamentally flawed game. There's every flavor of Monopoly <laughs> under the rainbow. Risk is another game where it's like, hey, do you want to play Star Wars Risk or Lord of the Rings Risk? Instantly makes that game more interesting. Mm. I would love a Pokemon Settlers of Catan where you raise your little Mar- where you raise your Mareeps to get them together to build your boat sail, or you have your Trident of Gyaradoses <laughs> to cross the ocean. Like, a non-violent Pokemon Settlers of Catan, I would love. I would love mm. if your resources were collecting Pikachus to turn the lights on in your city. <laughs> That would be pretty excellent. Uh, But to move into interesting board games, have you played... Actually, I'll let you mention one, because I've been name-dropping a lot of basic ones right now. Oh, well, assuming, like, uh, the majority... Actually, Merchants and Marauders, that's that's a cool game. I am not familiar. Give me the elevator pitch. Uh, Well, I mean, so... uh, You play as... Uh, the captain of a ship in a uh, in the Caribbean, uh, and uh, Johnny Depp. You can either be a merchant or a marauder, and the goal is to get uh, ten victory points, uh, which you can get by like doing quests or by successfully delivering goods or by pillaging other ships and stealing goods or you know it's. And then you, you you can get secret secret victory points by storing ten gold pieces in your in your treasure chest, and it actually gives you a little box, uh, and you put gold pieces in it, <laughs> nice. so nobody knows how many how much gold you have in your box. Uh, I do love that. And then you can just be like, aha, I have you know, fifty gold in here, so that's the five victory points I needed. <laughs> oh, that is delightful. One thing I'm definitely going to do though is for the scope of this episode, we cannot talk tabletop RPGs, which are kind of board games, but not really. Hmm. But on the topic of like those kind of games, have you played Here to Slay yet? Uh, no, see, um, I, the actual number of board games I have played is pretty, pretty slim. Um, so you don't have to give me the elevator pitch for that one. So, first off, are you familiar with Tea Turtle? They do adorable T-shirts and things. Yeah. Okay. They're the ones who made that Unstable Unicorns games that I'm not going to talk about for the sake of our sanity. <laughs> okay. But here's to slay is their D&D equivalency game, and it's how it works is you win by either assembling a team of three heroes, or by mm. defeating enough monsters, but you roll dice in conjunction to make your team. But you do get to pick your class, like do you want to be the bunny barbarian, the cat warlock? Mm. And it's delightful chibi, and I like that it's really structured in function. They took their previous card game and kind of like fixed it in this board game version. Hmm. And it does have a board, technically, but it's mostly just cards and dice. But I definitely enjoyed it. A, because my aesthetic is adorable savage. Like, give me adorable right. bunny with a lightsaber charging in and fighting a dragon, and I'm on board. Give me a unicorn <laughs> with a chainsaw just duct taped to its horn. That is my aesthetic as a person. <laughs> yeah. But while we're on the topic of board games, let's go to a classic one. Clue. Ooh. I was I was thinking about mentioning more classic board games, but Clue Clue is uh, an like 
I think Clue is also just a far superior board game for Monopoly because it does still give you that that social aspect that you were looking for, uh, but there's actually a mystery to solve. The weirdest thing for me to Clue, and this might just be a flavor thing, is you get your pieces at the start with the board. Hmm. Your pieces and the dice rolling to move on the board has almost nothing to do with Clue. If you instead say, mm. I teleport to here, it would make no real difference in the gameplay. Mm. And the flavor thing that gets me is, you don't get to know if you're the murderer. You're just playing a character. And right. it's that weird disconnect of, Clue would make so much more sense if you're playing detectives that weren't one of the colored mm. characters and you're trying to figure out who solved the murder. Because playing as the characters, it's just a internal logic flaw. But, ignoring my hyper-specific quip about the lore of Clue... Mechanically, mm -hmm. it is a nearly perfect board game, even though the actual board and dice element is less about it and more about the structured guessing and trading mechanics of being able to pass information back and forth to identify a mystery. Clue is mm. delightful. Right. I just have a weird logic inconsistency about it that I'm like, has this never bugged anyone else or is this literally just a me problem and I might need some kind of medication? <laughs> It's, it's probably bugged a couple other people, but I'd never really thought about that. I'd always assumed that I was, you know, just taking a colored pawn and then actually still just being a detective. And that's my thing: is your colored pawns represent the characters, but that's not integrated into the gameplay. And only I would be bugged by this as a human being. <laughs> Although uh, I do wish of, of some. Nope. I'm sorry. Go I was going to say, I would like for some more fun spin-off versions of Clue. Like, there's like a Harry Potter. Mm. But I'd like to see something you wouldn't think, like John Wick Clue. Where <laughs> the murderer is always John Wick, and you're trying to figure out who he killed, when and where. It's like John Wick with the book in the library would be amazing. Or John Wick on horseback with the heel kick. Or, or, or it'd be like, uh, which one of these characters wasn't murdered by John Wick? <laughs> like, like, oh, that would just be fantastic. All right, here's another classic one. Chess. Chess I have a, such a weird uh, connection with. Mm, uh, I mean, I, I like chess. Um, so, I mean, in terms of, of uh, game design, like uh, Richard and I have, uh, have Collaborated. attempted to make, design a lot of games of our own. Uh, and one of the more uh, interesting things that I think is to do is, is trying to make a game that's perfect information. Uh, like at once upon a time, like, we tried uh, to make perfect information. Every player information has access one. to all the information, and it's truly just a battle of wits. However, when it comes to perfect information, because I'm happy you brought this up because I was going to go there next. Perfect mm. information in a perfect information game, the better player will mm. always beat the worst player. And it becomes right. impossible to become truly perfection at it. A lot of games that are perfect information, the person teaching the game to the new person has such an advantage that the new person mm -hmm. doesn't get into the game. Because you have to deliberately hold your punches if you want to teach someone chess and then not proceed to beat them at chess. <laughs> so because of that right. problem with perfect information, things like trading card games or Clue or Monopoly lets the rivals in the group able to win occasionally so they're more invested in playing because there's that base level of variance and what i find is fascinating uh, well, yeah, um, is what just, amount just, of variance is good uh just just as a quick little side note um any any element of randomness is also not makes it not perfect information I mean, just because you know all the values that are potential on, on the die uh you you can't know the results so you can't, it's it's an element of luck 
where perfect information game is is literally there's no element of luck it's purely how well do you know the game uh which again like like you said um games that are perfect information the person who knows the game better will win whereas a game which has dice rolls or anything random like that like drawing cards uh there's a chance that someone will just you know get a get a bunch of lucky rolls or they'll draw the right cards uh and it can allow <clears throat> how much variance do you want to make the game fun for skilled players versus how much uh information do you want to share that makes it hard for new players to learn and another issue of perfect information games is are they solvable so let's take mm. take tactile once you hit a certain age or a certain level of sobriety, it becomes apparent that tic-tac-toe is a solved game. It's entirely right. possible that if you go first to tic-tac-toe, you win or draw every game because there's a specific series of moves that you win. Right. So when it comes to making a perfect information game, if it's solvable, then it's not a good game anymore. Because once it's been solved, right. you might as well throw it out. If it's mm -hmm. not solvable, have you made a game too complex for a new person to possibly grasp? Like, let's take your delightful three-dimensional chessboard. No one will mm. ever solve 3D chess. No. Because first you have to understand the rules of 3D chess. However, <laughs> no one will ever play 3D chess with you who's not me, because you're already adding complexity to chess. A notoriously <laughs> complex game. Yeah. So, when it comes to perfect information... It is terrible for a get my coworkers together icebreaker game night, but can be delightful for a get my group of friends who want to harm each other's souls together. And what I really enjoy is, <laughs> and these are really rare, multiplayer perfect information games. Because two-player oh. perfect mission perfect information games are pretty common. Go, mm. checkers, chess, tic-tac-toe, not battleship. But there's a lot of them. But there's very few that are three or more players. Like, I had a four-player chess board. And that is by far my preferred form of chess. Because in a one-on-one -on -one <laughs> game, you could, in theory, know, like, okay, they move this piece. It's this common of move. I have counters. You can be, like, prepped and ready to go. Right. The moment me and you are playing chess and Aaron is also there, all of your plans are gone. Because <laughs> now you have to track two players. And it's still perfect information. But the number of moves increases so exponentially that mm -hmm. it is unreasonable to know them all. Right, right. So taking a classic game, like even like checkers and something, and making it three or four players makes it still perfect information, but makes it next to impossible to solve. If you're playing tic-tac-toe on a 5x5 five five grid, one player was X, one player is O, and one player was Y, your strats no longer apply. Uh, okay, so I, okay, I don't know if there's a more uh, culturally appropriate name for it. I, uh, I struggled here too. Ever, Get, I'll look it up. Uh, Chinese checkers. Damn it! I almost had it. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? No, I knew you were going to say it, and I was this close to looking up the actual name to not say it. So close. Oh. Sturm Halle is called S T E R M. Yeah, S T E R M H A L M A. <laughs> so close so close but it does uh, say that well, on the box which is inherently racist but let's just <laughs> brush past that from now well, well no it, 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 that was an, an interesting perfect information game that's uh automatically designed to be more than two players like you can play with just two players but it is a two uh, to six but, player game and i love that game 
they just need to rebrand. They they do need to rebrand. Because, I mean, even like you said, Dermhalla? Dermhalla. A more modern and simplified version of the game Halma. Halma. Oh, now now I'm curious about what the more complex version is. But yes, uh, it, uh, it's not racist to say what's on the package. It's called Chinese Checkers, but they seriously <laughs> need to think about rebranding this game. Because yeah. there is uh, no way that's the correct... Like, come on, guys. Come on. You can do better. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay, so I, I think I have one more board game that I want to mention, which I, I hope you have played before. Uh, and I, it's called Scotland Yard. I have not, but you've hyped it, so give me the full elevator pitch. Um, well, I mean, it's it's a fairly simple game. One player is Mr. X, and there are up to five detectives uh, who must find Mr. X in the, the in the London, I guess. I don't know. Are they called the Scotland Yard in in London? Is that yes? Surprisingly. I see where your brain's at. I see the loops you're trying to jump through, but no, nah, no, nah, you were right. You second-guessed yourself there, and you didn't need to. Yeah, okay, anyway. Uh, so the board is is a map of London with various stops. Then there's bus stops, taxi stops, uh, subway stops. There's different kinds of stops. And the detectives have tickets that they can use to move along the different routes. So, like, the bus stops will move you a further distance, and then if you need to move in more somewhere more specifically, you'll generally have to take the take a taxi to get into more specific areas. Um, and so, the detectives are all on the board, and Mr. X has a notepad and a special uh, uh, device, I guess I'll say, where they can slide their tickets in, and it covers the position that they wrote down on the board, the detectives know how Mr. X traveled, but they don't know where he is or where he traveled to. Okay. Uh, and then every every so many turns, that Mr. X has to reveal himself. And then also Mr. X has some uh, wild tokens where if he feels like he's getting close to being caught, then, then uh, you can use a wild token so they don't know how you traveled. And also Mr. X has access to the, like, the secret river boat of course of course which is also that's also a wild token so it's like uh but it's, it's just another really interesting game which uh it, it's all about the social interaction and it, it, it's really close to being perfect information but then just like no it's mr x is just a, a wild card almost and to follow up with that, since we're going to be wrapping up shortly here, I'm just going to give this list of board games because there's a lot of things I want to talk about that weren't technically board games. So we're just going to mm. do a first thought, best thought. I'm going to say a name. You're going to have up to three words to tell me your thoughts on it. Ready? Okay. Checkers. I'm ready. Uh, King Me. Battleship. You sank my... I'm so happy you that's... said you sank because that's what I was thinking. Word for verbatim. <laughs> Scrabble. Words, words, words. Trivial Pursuit. Not a board game. Candyland. Ooh, sweet fun times. The Game of Life. I mean... Not accurate. Not accurate, but a great drinking game, allegedly, if you partake. <laughs> Go. Ooh. Uh, international Chess? <laughs> wow. Go makes chess look like a punk, but I'm surprised he didn't say less complex SD Gundam. <laughs> Go does kind of make chess look like a punk. That's true. 
but it's for, for more North American audiences, that's like the only comparable. No, Go put game. like yeah, Go does make chess look like a punk with its infinitely <laughs> increasing complexity. All right, next on this <laughs> list we got Sorry. Uh, trouble. <laughs> nice. Connect four. Uh, ooh. How ridiculous. Uh, it, it's a YouTube channel. Um, and they, they played, uh, giant connect four where they had to throw balloons into like a 20 foot, uh, throw balls into a 20 foot, uh, contraption there, the connect four thing All right. to try and make the, they had to make their shots so they could connect four before the other person did. That's amazing. So next is ticket to ride, which instead of doing a quick response, I want to mention that ticket to ride is just really good. I'm kind of sad we didn't get to talk about that because it's one of those mm. board games that it's not perfect information because you're given a random objective, but it's extremely mm. strategic, almost no variance. Table talk is fair game. It has almost everything I like in a board game. Like Ticket to Ride is a top tier game, especially since it's simple to learn, but complex to master. Yeah, I, I've never actually played it, but I saw it being played and I was like, that actually looks like it would be a lot of fun and interesting to play. It is a game that desperately needs a, like a rebanding variant version because it's about trains and you're like, oh, whatever. But if it was like Ticket to Dragon and you were building Shenrons <laughs> connecting things, you might get a like instant popularity boost. Next, we have Yahtzee. Is that actually a board game? Did, it's did just dice. dice. It's just dice. <laughs> but yeah, fair enough. Then we have Operation, which has never worked successfully in my life. Oh, what? You've, you've never successfully played Operation? It's just not worth it, man. Uh, I've never succeeded. Carl. Okay, fair fair enough. I, I, I forgot who I was talking to. My hands <laughs> might as well be lobster claws for the dexterity I have been bored with, okay? Operation is a stupid board game and I hate it. <laughs> Next, we got Backgammon, which is interesting. I'm going to just say Backgammon is interesting. I mean, I, I guess it does count as a board game. It's very abstract. Like, you don't quite... It's hard to visualize what it is you're doing with that game. Mm. Like, it feels extremely arbitrary. Like, a lot of old card games, it's like, okay, this is worth points, but why, though? Because you need to make a bridge, <laughs> but why? So, oh, that like, game like is definitely... A, uh, you roll <laughs> dice to move these tokens because we said so. Mm, All right, next mm. on this list is Mousetrap, which I never owned. Uh, well, I mean, I, I loved Mousetrap because it was just, it was like a Goldberg machine. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know how much of a board game it was, more of build a rude Goldberg machine and then play a board game around it somewhat. That's <laughs> yeah. definitely one of those things that was better as a toy than a board game. Mm. Next on the list is Pictionary, which is not a board game. Then Django, mm. which is not a board game, but there's like eight asterisks as to that statement because it's like, then what is Jenga if not a board game? <laughs> <laughs> Jenga has tons of variants too. Like I have Tetris Jenga, where all the Jenga blocks are just like weird Tetris shapes. Uh, you also had Donkey Kong Jenga at one point, or Mario Jenga. Oh, yeah, I, 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 it's called Mario Jenga, but it's it's uh, arcade Mario, where you, where you're you're trying you're trying to move your character up the tower and avoid the barrels that Donkey Kong's throwing down from the top. I mean, it's. It's a pretty interesting take on on Jenga, that's for sure. That one, that one, I think would count as a board game where the tower is the board. I'll allow that. That seems pretty on point. And then the last couple quick ones to go through here is Chinese checkers, which is somehow called that. Reversey, <laughs> which is poor man's go. I can play reversey. Mm. I'm pretty good at it. The moment it becomes go, I'm done. Game over. 
Okay, is there a difference between Pente and Go? Or, I mean, Reversi? I don't think so. Okay. And then... I, I liked Pente because it had, like, the, the beads. Fair enough. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. You can argue Cribbage is a board game if you want, but you can also argue that the best show and jump series is Doran Doran. So it's interesting what <laughs> arguments a person can make. <laughs> and I think that wraps it up. So we're going to go with our two random questions of the week. And also, feel free to... Ah, I don't remember. I don't care. Blah, blah, contest. This week I put out a new, a beautiful new alternate cover for my book, and that's where my focus has been. Next mm. week we'll probably have some sort of contest or something. I don't know. I'm yeah, busy. Yeah, uh, like uh, we were, we, you were doing like a, a, a newsletter? Yes. We'll put stuff, the, like hopefully that'll be out next week. Stay tuned to learn more about future projects, but this specific episode of Deep Space and Dragons is kind of like a filler. I'll have fun things for you later. But for now, let's go with our random questions of the week. This one comes in from an anonymous fan. How often do you work in your PJs at TJ's? Mine is uh, not at TJ's, o- but... How uh, often do you work in PJs? Mm. Uh, well, see, there are some very comfortable pizza pants that they feel like uh, pajamas. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, my work uniform, I actually have like, you know, work pants and a work shirt. Uh, so I, and we've never had it, uh, TJ's PJ's day. I, maybe I should suggest that to my boss. Have you uh, ever as, actually as worked in PJ's? Note, I, like in your life? Uh, no. Uh, but just, just as, as a random side note, my, my boss uh, has, does have something of a sense of humor. Uh, and we get like screen names, uh, when you, you, you sign into the computer <laughs> And then your screen name pops up and that shows up on the ticket when you take an order. And he decided that he needed to start changing my screen name to stupid stuff. Uh, and so the latest one he changed my screen name is is to Boba Fart. <laughs> 10 out of 10, perfect joke. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Anyways, what, what about you, Richard? Have you ever worked in your PJs? So back when I worked in the kitchen, I would often, because I, I had to wear special chef pants, I would have pajama pants under them because I had to walk mm. in the freezing cold. But yeah. now that I work remote in the education industry, where I'm sold to a higher standard, I am far more often in pajamas than you'd ever think possible. <laughs> so right now, I'll, I am not in pajamas, in pajamas, but there was no actual reason for me to get dressed today. <laughs> Realistically speaking, I had no reason to not be in pajamas right now. And I mean, I, I guess that makes sense, yeah. And our second random question is not random at all, but I'm just going to ask it. What is your favorite board game? What is my favorite board game? Ooh. Uh, well, I guess we didn't actually talk about Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Ooh. Uh, we got two minutes. Go for say, it. I would say that game is pretty pretty top tier uh, because it's like one half is this like cooperative Explore the Mansion, and then the second half is like one of... 50 random scenarios it, it kind of bums me out when you get the same scenario more than once in, in a in, within recent memory but uh i really i really enjoy that because the second half is always is always so random you never know whether or not you're going to be on the winning side because it's, <laughs> it depends how much you've explored the house excellent excellent answer uh what's your favorite board game I mean, it really depends at the phase of my life. Mm. Uh, like, 
like I said, depending on the audience in the group, it fluctuates. But I mm-hmm. had Dungeon Dice Monsters, and it was delightful, and I will fight anyone that tells me it was a bad game. <laughs> Dungeon Dice Monsters? <laughs> Dungeon Dice Monsters. The Yu-Gi-Oh! spinoff that never took off, never had a chance. I was all in 100%. I have booster packs, the core set, because everyone was going to pivot to Dungeon Dice Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, thank you everybody for tuning in. Feel free to pop in our Twitch streams later this week, as we'll be playing some video games. Not quite sure which ones. And with that, take care and have yourself a lovely indescript morning, because it's morning. It is still morning. It's breakfast time. Treat yourself to a breakfast wrap. Bye-bye. Bye.